you know how I will know if I would have made it is if I get my own signature shoe. This is Bringing the Pain. In case you're not aware, my name is Cyrus Wayne, and I'm coming to you right here, as usual, from Radio Fairfax. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at CY underscore THA. Great. Man, football is back, baby. This is great. You know, the, the one thing about fall, about autumn, like we just had the Labor Day weekend, which is the unofficial end of summer. Everyone took their last little hurrahs to the beach. Uh, all the kids uh, probably st- have started school at this point. But the one thing that the fall does bring and what Labor Day signals is the start of football season. College, college football just started this past weekend. Well, technically it started two weekends ago when they had those teams that nobody really cared about playing. But I'm not going to count that because, again, nobody really cared about those teams unless you went to any one of those schools that, once again, nobody really cares about. So the, the fo- college football weekend really started this past weekend. And there is a lot of stuff to unpack, a, a lot of stuff to unpack. And that's where we're going to start it. Uh, don't worry. Later on, we got uh, some NFL stuff. See, what I wanted to do was I wanted to do a season preview today, bring in Brandon and T. Stokes. Uh, I'm having a little bit of technical difficulty to get that put together, but trust and believe that's going to happen sometime in the next couple of weeks once I get a few things figured out. But in the meantime, you're stuck with me. But come on, don't make that face. That's not a bad thing. That's actually a great thing because I'm going to be with you this entire hour and it's going to be great. I have a fantastic show lined up for you. But first, let's unpack this college fall weekend, just some of the big stories. So this is the matchup that everyone anticipated. Coming up, Alabama FSU, the Crimson Tide versus the Seminoles. Number one versus number three. It kind of lived up to the hype. I, I Yes, like the final score ended up being, what was it? 24 to seven, but that game was closer than perhaps the final score would have told you. So, I, I must say, Alabama continues to impress me. That's really the only thing we know about this college football season right now is that Alabama is going to be good, as they have been for the past almost 10 years since Nick Saban took over that program. They are going to be really good, and not because of what's on their offense. Their offense, uh, they still have a few things to figure out. They, they still have a few things to figure out, but that defense looked like a monster. Uh, DeAndre Francois just had no answer for what they were doing out there. It's too much speed, too much power. Goodness, that that was impressive. I am a fan of defensive football, which is one of the, I, as much as I love college football, one of the things that irks me is the high scoring nature of college football, because as much as we like to say that the rules in the NFL uh, allow for more op- open offense, you combine that with uh, not as much talent on the defensive side of the football, you really have an issue with, for me anyway, a, a, a hitch, an issue with high scoring in college football. But all that aside, watching Alabama play defense to me is just watching p- 
poetry in motion. It is absolutely beautiful. Oh my goodness. Uh, De- as I said, DeAndre Francois looked lost. End up throwing a, a couple bad interceptions. I mean, just bad ones. He was just being run all over the place. He just looked lost. And he, I, I feel I felt bad for this kid because not only did he just look lost, but he also lost his entire season. He went out with a torn patella, patellar, uh, that tendon in your knee, the, one of the ones that you really, really don't want to do anything with. Yeah, so he's out for the season. And I, you, you felt bad for him. But it's one of those weird things. Last year, if you remember correctly, he took a beating last year as well. He was always like nicked and bruised up, but of course, like a like the true warrior that you want your quarter your quarterback to be, he was there behind a very not talented offensive line. I mean, come on, NC State should have beaten those kids last year. But I digress. So we tend to do a lot of this second guessing. There's a lot of second guessing, especially when you have these high profile games early on the season, which is a byproduct of this playoff system that they nobody wanted for a long time because, well, the NCAA is just full of greedy, money hungry SOBs. And anytime they, there's anything that can that may upset the delicate ecosystem of them counting their money, they, they want to reject and come up with these ridiculous reasons. But one of the byproducts of having a playoff system is, hey, these top teams, like these power five teams, they can afford to take an early loss. And the BCS, which awarded, which rewarded undefeated seasons, the moment you took a loss, you were in trouble. But with the playoff system, when you have a human component, what you could do is, hey, we can schedule a tough opponent. As long as we play them tough, we can lose and still be in a good chance to make the playoffs at the end of the season. It is perfect. So what has it done? It's given us matchups like this. And of course, you have some second guesses out there, armchair quarterbacks, um, couch coaches, who say, well, they shouldn't have played them, or if they're getting beat like that in the fourth quarter, they should have took DeAndre, DeAndre Francois out of the game. Now they lost for the season. Well, first of all, your quarterback can get hurt against any team, especially, even against uh, what you would call a cream puff. Uh, look at Jacob Eason, uh, the quarterback out of G- Georgia. He well, he's, he's lost, well, not for the entire season. Perhaps he's week to week, but they played against App State. So... Like you, you could get hurt about anyone. But the one thing is, def, as impressive as I was about Alabama's defense, where I'm still not sold is on them offensively. And I'm not quite sure if it's J- Jalen Hurts, their quarterback, or the offensive play calling, because I was not impressed by either one of the by either one of these things. Jalen Hurts com- like finished the game 10 for 18, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Which is even against a, a talented Florida State defense, a pedestrian would be putting it very kindly. Uh, point is, in that game, it was a rough night for both of those quarterbacks. And speaking of rough days, let me tell you who had a rough day. The state of Texas had a rough day Saturday. A&M took, took a loss to, to UCLA, 45-44, to after blowing a 34-point lead. Baylor lost to Liberty at 45-48, in which Liberty was a 32-point underdog. And that wasn't even the biggest upset of the day. We'll get to that later. And, oh, fun fact. 
So this is Liberty against Baylor. Liberty is a school out like out here in Virginia, in case you didn't know. Honestly, I'm just going to be real with you and be completely honest. I was not aware that Liberty even had a football program until this weekend. I mean, I knew they played basketball because you would like, around here we get some of these uh, like, kind of like localized games. So I knew they had a basketball program, but I was not fully aware that they had a football program. So that that was more of a surprise to me than them beating Baylor. But fun fact about Liberty, their athletic director Ian McCaw was the athletic director at Baylor when all that sexual assault mess went down. <laughs> Take that however you want to, okay? I'm just letting you know. And Texas, the University of Texas Longhorns, uh, drops the game to Maryland 51-41 in Tom Herman's very first game. So, rough day, rough day for the state of Texas. But here's the one, but here's where I'm going to get at right here. The honeymoon is over for Tom Herman in University of Texas. The moment they lost, that honeymoon was over. This should not, this should have to go without saying that Texas is very passionate about their football program and they will love you and they will love you deeply until you start losing. Even if they think you're going to win, just like they did with Tom Herman, they will love you. But what you saw Saturday was not that of a winning team, which is what I was exact. What is exactly what I was saying when they fired Charlie Strong last year. I understand when you fire a football coach, whether it's at the collegiate level, high school level, or the NFL level, when you're firing the coach, you are saying, look here, the talent we have is good. It's just the dude running it that's the problem. We saw Saturday that there is definitely some talent discrepancies, especially on defense, where Texas has suffered the past several years. That's been an issue then, and it still continues to be an issue now. And again, as long as you're winning in Texas, you're going to be good. But the moment that turns around, look how they ran off Mac Brown. Just look, look how they ran him off. But if you're Tom Herman, that was one of the best things that could happen to you. Losing your very first game is a good thing for you because what you're able to do is you're now able to temper expectations. With that passion, with the fire that the Texas fan base has, they can have some very unrealistic expectations. So the fact that you go out, you lose your first game, probably not what you wanted to do, but you can say, hold up, pump the brakes here. We have a... His exact words were, he's running a marathon, not a sprint, which is code for, we are in rebuilding mode. But no one wants to say the R word, even in collegiate athletics, especially at Texas. So he said, this is a, quote, marathon, which, again, is saying that this is going to take a while to put together, to uh, build them back up together. So... (laughs) He's getting started, so he has that going for him. Who doesn't have that going for him, however, is Ken Sumlin, who is the head coach of the Texas A&M Aggies, who blew a 34-point lead against UCLA. Now, they probably should have won that game because that last touchdown probably should not have counted. He was definitely bobbing the ball on the way down. But regardless, he's been on the hot seat for a number of years now. Even at no, no matter where you coach in Texas, you're always going to be under the microscope. That's just the way it works, especially when you're coaching for that amount of money. You are going to be watched like a hawk. And that's what happened. Now, 
granted, Ken Sumlin didn't do himself any favors because the way his like part part of the reason they lost the game was his coaching. But Texas A&M has some deeper issues than than just his coaching, and you can make a strong argument that perhaps toward the end of the season you may want to make a move in the head at the at the head coaching position. And this is not just a wins and losses thing. For those of you who may not keep track of A&M, they've been having some issues retaining retaining players. The amount of players that transfer in and out of that program is staggering. Especially for a program that really isn't bad. Texas Texas A&M is is a pretty decent program. But the number of people that just kind of float in and out and it's just not a good look. And then you throw in that he has a hard time winning big games so (laughs) there's a lot of vocal outrage or whatever you want to call it thrown in his direction Uh, one of which is by a guy named tony busby who is a houston area attorney and is also a member of the texas a&m board of regents who uh, said in a facebook post on sunday night uh he said hey at the next meeting whenever this comes up that we should vote for, I'm going to vote for someone to be fired. And that someone, that quote, Kevin Sumlin needs to go. And GO is in all caps, by the way. Not a good way to get your message out. That's probably something that's handled better, you know, in a meeting with, you know, the actual regions versus putting on Facebook. He even, he even noted that he's going to catch some stuff by putting it out there. But at that point, he didn't care. At that point, he was not a region. He was just a mad fan. That's something you would expect a, a 19, 20, 21 year old college kid to do. Not someone who's supposed to know better, even in a height of raw emotion that can only be brought about by an athletic team. So... You also, you know, also had a very tough weekend. It was the ACC against the SEC. 0-3. Losses by Georgia Tech, Florida State, and of course, my beloved NC State to South Carolina and Charlotte. That was heartbreaking to watch. Now, I saw two of the games. I saw NC State, obviously, and I saw Florida State, obviously. I did not watch a Georgia Tech game on Monday night against Tennessee because I cannot watch Georgia Tech at all besides the fact that I really hate them, that's it's that triple option offense that they run. It, it is, to me, very painful to watch. It's like it's like someone applied Technicolor to one of those old game fills back in the early 1900s. It is painful. It's it's spotily effective. It's surprisingly kind of effective. Uh, Paul, jo- like the head coach in the program, have had... Eh, mixed success and failures running that scheme uh, but I guess when you have the quote unquote academic rigors of recruiting that you need to take some shortcuts as far as the scheme that you run um, spoiler alert that's why the military academies love running the option because you don't have to teach a whole lot but again I can't watch it it's painful it's brutal so I miss that I mentioned earlier that Liberty was a 32 and a half point dog against Baylor, and that wasn't even the big and that wasn't even the biggest upset. Because the biggest upset of the weekend and of the history of the NCAA was by right here locally the Howard University Bison when they defeated the University the UNLV the Rudder Rebels 
but despite being 45 point underdogs. Now, a lot of you listening are going to say, well, how like that can't be the biggest upset. You know, like App State against Michigan back in 07, that was the biggest upset ever in college football history. Well, from a talent perspective, yes, I would tell you that's probably one of the largest upsets you'll find in the history of college football. But from a mathematic betting Vegas standpoint, no, it's up. It's Howard against UNLV. That's not even up for discussion. That is a well-known fact. Now, for those of you who even cared, um, the App State Michigan game did not even have an official line. There was not an official line for that game because they said, "Why even bother? It's gonna. It's why even why even bother doing this?" However, uh, they've done some research and found that the unofficial line was thirty-three and a half. So even still, this would have probably been a bit the biggest upset in history. And however, you can debate this: what in the world warranted UNLV being a forty-five point favorite? Absolutely nothing. UNLV, as bad as Howard University has been, and they have been bad. Over the past three seasons, five, one, and two wins over the past three seasons. Uh, UNLV has not done any better. Uh, they've done, they've gone two, three, and four wins over the past three seasons. So if there's any team in the FBS who deserves to be 45 point favorites, it is not UNLV. Oh, also, side note, by the way, the Howard University head coach, Mike London, this is his first season at Howard. He was the former head coach at the University of Virginia. I know most of you don't care. I th- I found that to be fun. Oh, I, I, I just saw highlights. Wait a minute. That guy looks familiar. Oh, and another guy who may be familiar. The quarterback for Howard is Cam Newton's little brother. Take that for what it's worth. Is Howard going to be good? Don't know. Don't think so. We'll find out. But <laughs> congratulations, Howard. I ain't going to hate. You earned it. You earned it. Congratulations. Cut up next after the break. Uh, the Houston Rockets are kind of sort of officially sold. Why? I, I, I just don't see how they're worth that much. But that's the market. Market never lies. Bring the pain. Cyrus Wayne back after this. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. Coming to you from Radio Fairfax. So, uh, the Houston Rockets have sold... Yes, Leslie Alexander sold the his franchise, the Houston Rockets, to uh, the Houston businessman, uh, entrepreneur, restaurateur, uh, for, uh, Tillman Fertitta. Uh, if you're if, if the name sounds familiar, you may have seen him on TV. He does some uh, TV stuff. A billion dollar buyer. Uh, his company owns one of my favorite restaurants ever, Papa Do's. Uh, so if that name sounds familiar, also, he is the third cousin of the Fertitta brothers who founded UFC. If that's where your background is, and you go, hmm, Fertitta, whoever heard that for again, like distant cousin of that guy. Anywho. So they, so, so the team was sold to him for $2.2 billion. Fun fact. Uh, this, so this guy is very active in trying to buy teams in Houston. He was part of the ownership group for the uh, expansion Houston Texans, and he also tried to buy the Houston Rockets back in 1993 when he offered $81 million back in 1993 for him. By the way, the Rockets sold to Leslie Alexander in 1993 for $85 million, which, if you adjust for inflation, would be $128.3 million. So the fact that he's now buying it for $2.2 billion right now, 
<laughs> it just goes, wow, he should have got in earlier or probably upped his offer because, yeah, that, that's a ton of money. By the way, he's worth a lot. He's worth around $2.8 million or somewhere, like somewhere in that. No, he's actually worth somewhere around $3 million. Uh, point is... Uh, his offer for $2.2 billion represents somewhere in the neighborhood of 71% of his net worth right now, which the Houston Rockets are worth, uh, according, to, according to Forbes magazine back in uh, February of this year, you know, they do the, like, how much is each sports franchise worth thing that they do using inexact science because you can't really get this information but so using their best estimates the Houston Rockets were worth 1.65 billion dollars but 2.2 billion the sell here will be a record for the NBA which the previous record was 2 billion even and you guys remember when Steve Ballmer had bought the uh, the Clippers from uh, that guy yeah yeah you, you know you know who I'm talking about I'm not going to I'm not even going to bring up his name so when he bought the Clippers back in 2014 that was 3 years ago that was August of 2014 that was 3 years ago and that at that time I, I didn't have a voice then but I I told everyone who would listen which was probably about two or three people that a Ballmer overpaid for it and B, that is going to mess around and set the market for these teams in the NBA. And it turns out, I was right on that on that front. Because if you're looking for another comparable, these things are hard to come by. Because, you know, there's only 30 teams. So, but it, they're easy to find. But if you're looking for a comparable, the Milwaukee Bucks in April of 2014. So this is just a few months prior to Steve Ballmer pointing up $2 billion for it. The Bucks has sold for five hundred fifty million. <laughs> so uh, over the course of a few months, all of a sudden these value these teams just completely balloon in value. Now, before you say, "Hey, ones in L.A., ones in uh, Milwaukee," understand most of a lot of these franchises are get their value from these TV contracts that the players and owners fight about constantly. So you mean to tell me? that all of a sudden this is the new normal we talk about player contracts and how i i said hey uh james harden getting his absolutely ridiculous deal that's the, the new normal how how what auto porter getting like his quote-unquote max that's the new normal this is the new normal teams selling in the multiple of billions of dollars and i'm sitting here i'm telling you i don't know how sustainable this is this possibly could be i mean what the nba has done is set up these contracts to where they are like very profitable even where you can run a team in a lackluster market and still be able to turn out a profit i mean look at milwaukee kind of sort of but again they didn't sell for 2.2 billion dollars or just 2 billion period but regardless now as i said you can find these value, these valuations of, of these teams online. They're they're very easy, but I still have a very hard time even remotely considering that these teams are going to be worth this much down the road. Especially when these contracts with these television uh, with these television partners look different. It actually could, could balloon up more if the NBA continues their path in embracing new technology. As far as getting their streaming options up and really figuring out ways to deliver their content 
in a way that is con- consumable to the viewer. Speaking of questionable ownership as we're going through this, y'all hear about your boy Derek Jeter. Uh, so he's part of the new uh, ownership group with the Marlins, and it was revealed that he has a grand plan to cut payroll in order to cut expenses because that's why you cut payroll. Which, if you're a Miami Marlins fan, that doesn't sound good because that's exactly what Jeff Valoria has do- like does. Is he comes in and just completely cuts payroll, gets rid of all the good players, and you're just left with nothing. And Jeter is coming in doing the exact same thing. Now, the only reason why Jeter gets a pass is because he's Derek Jeter. He's the captain. He- he's all this other stuff. Really, what... As talented as he is, I still think he's a little overrated. You only feel that he only really feel this way about him because he played for the Yankees. We talked about this last week with my, with uh, Aaron Judge, but regardless, but it it, it, make, it would make sense on why he would try to cut payroll because uh, the reports are the Miami Marlins are reported to be on pace to lose around fifty million dollars this year. And of course, whenever your business is losing money, the first thing that everyone goes to is slashing payroll. But if you're Miami, as I just mentioned earlier, uh, that's news that you do not want to hear. Especially who is Derek Jeter thinks he is slashing payroll? You realize in in this deal in this ownership group, he's the, he's the little fish that he put up what I believe the number was twenty five million dollars. And he's paying himself about five million a year, so he's gonna recoup that money regardless. And, and all of a sudden, like the little fish is making the big decisions. C- come on now, I understand from a financial standpoint, you do want to cut payroll, you want to re- reduce your expenses. I understand that, but bruh, like in, in that market, the, knowing what they've been through, ugh, it's it's gonna be a tough sell to your fan base. It's gonna be a very tough sell. So if you can get that done, good job, congratulations, get it done. But if you can't at this point, bruh, just, just just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Coming up next after this break, the NFL season starts this week. What were some very interesting storylines that I found this past week leading into it? Find out next. Bring the pain. Cyrus Wayne back after this. Welcome back to Bringing the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne coming to you from Radio Fairfax. The number to the studio is 703-560-8255. Once again, that is 703-560-8255. But I keep trying to tell y'all, you try to keep calling that number, I will not be there to answer. The best way to reach me is on Twitter and on Instagram at CY underscore T-H-A. Great. If you're catching me on Radio Fairfax or on the TuneIn Radio app, TuneIn Radio desktop, or the Radio Fairfax station, RadioFairfaxFCAC.org at 1 o'clock on Thursdays. But if you missed part of the show, uh, you can also catch me on uh, SoundCloud, uh, episodes uploaded every Thursday, as well as now on iTunes. Uh, Be on the lookout for any further platforms going forward. Now, I promised an FLC uh, season preview. We're not going to quite get that. Again, technical difficulties, but... What, what, what I am going to do is going to talk about a couple of the big NFL stories that have interested me this past week. Oh, but spo- spoiler alert, I am going to do a little bit of an NFL preview in this regard. The only thing we really know about this season is that the Patriots are going to be good. That's it. How good? We don't know. And the Jets can be bad. 
the, those are the only two things we know. Everything else is kind of meh, 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 meh. Oh, but by the way, some of you may notice I am a I am a uh, diehard Cowboys fan. If you've been paying attention to the show, or if you know me personally, I have not at all uh, weighed in on the Zeke Elliott situation because as of right now, I'm recording this on a Tuesday before before uh, Thursday before this gets aired Thursday. Right now, we're still waiting with bated breath on what's going to happen with them. I'm going to hold hold all my comments on that situation until this is. Well, it's not going to be resolved in the next couple of days, but once there's a, at least a ruling comes out and then we figure out what's going to happen, then I will give you my full thoughts on that situation. I want to wait. I'm going to wait and see how this ends up, because depending on how this ends up, this can go who knows how many ways. The only thing that I know for a fact is that when this is all over, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look very bad. It may be Zeke, it may be the NFL, it may be Roger Goodell, maybe his accuser, maybe the arbitrator, maybe the NFL Players Association. I don't know who is going to look terrible after this, but trust and believe someone is going to look very, very, very bad. But we're going to start here. The saga that is Brock Osweiler has found a temporary conclusion, at least for now. Uh, it's been reported and this has been confirmed that Brock Osweiler, pending a physical at, at the time of this recording, has signed with the Denver Broncos. Yes, the same Broncos who let him walk in, in, in a move that at the time was a, like seen as a great idea forgetting that John Elway didn't quite exactly say, hey, just go ahead and walk. He was ready to offer him a quite some money. Now they have him back for a lot cheaper. To the uh, tune of somewhere around the veterans minimum of $770,000, which means that the Cleveland Browns are on the hook for the rest uh, for the rest of the 15.2 or around about million dollars that was left on a 16 million guarantee from when he had that ridiculous contract that Houston gave him if you're lost oh trust me like it's all numbers and all this other stuff here's the important thing that you need to know the Texans are really the big winners here because they accomplished the one of the things that they needed to and once they, and that is when they realized that Brock Osweiler was not their answer at quarterback, they found a team to take him, which was hard to do because they gave him that that seventy two million dollar deal. That's a lot of money just to be, like just to be taken on the books. But they gave him to the one team that could that could handle him, that contract rather, and that was Cleveland Browns. And all the cost Houston was a second round draft pick. And I say all the cost was second round draft pick. Yes, that is qu- quite a bit, but. Again, $60 million for a guy that you know is not going to be good. It was really the price of doing business. So, good move for Houston. They completely did what they needed to do there. Now, Cleveland, in getting Brock Osweiler and that second-round pick, they gave up a sixth-round pick back, back, back in this year's draft to do, to do so. Now... I'm sorry, like I'm sorry, fourth round pick in 2007. My bad. And Houston also saved uh, $10 million of cap space. Go figure. So, as I said, Houston the big winner. Cleveland said, oh man, this guy's terrible. 
Why do we sign him? But they have $100 million in cap space that there's no way they're going to get to. So they said, oh, yeah, we, 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 some, we can eat this money. Uh, or like, or like, just call, call it, you know, call it dead and just and, and be done, which they did because they may have found their quarterback in the future in Deshaun Kaiser, which, again, no one. OK, then, yeah, we know the Cleveland Browns are bad, but do we really know if they're good or if they're going to be good? No, they're not. They're gonna. They're they're still gonna be bad. They're still going to be bad. But they have sixty billion dollars of cap space, so I think they'll be fine. So for the Cleveland Browns, the move to like dismiss Brock Osweiler, it makes sense both financially as well as football, because you don't want all that money tied up in a guy that you know is not gonna be your answer quarterback. If we all remember. Uh, it was a rumor around the time he was traded that they were looking to flip him. It just didn't quite happen because guess guess what? They found the the Cleveland Browns found out the one thing that Houston Texans already knew is that no one was was really going to take on that contract. So in this case, everybody walks on a winner. The Broncos get the guy that they knew wasn't the guy, but they get him back at a very deep discount. The Houston, the Houston Texans were still able to get their guy eventually, maybe, and were able to write off his contract, Brock Osweiler's contract, and give it to offloaded to the Browns, who have more than enough cap room. So they said, okay, then this is going to work. We really need the pick. So, yay, happiness, hugs, all around. Now, what makes Denver a very funny landing place for Brock Osweiler is... I'm not sure if you guys remember this, but last offseason, it was a thing. There were talks for the Denver Broncos to trade for, yes, you guessed it, Colin Kaepernick, who is, you also guessed it, still effing available. So, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just I'm just gonna let that sit there. I, I I've said all I've had to say about like Kaepernick and what, why he's out of the NFL. I'm gonna let you use your imagination there. But I I felt that very important to bring up again in case you've forgotten because I'm pretty sure many of you have. But that that's why you have here. This is why this is why Cyrus is here to re- remind you of the things that a lot of people have t- tend to forget. So it was expected that. Brock Osweiler was going to be cut by the Browns. That didn't catch anybody by surprise. I was going through the list of cuts this past week, and one name that it didn't surprise me that it was cut, but it still kind of shows you kind of the uh, fleeting glory that is being in the NFL is one Chris Johnson. Yeah, you you remember that guy back in 2009 rushed for 2,000 yards. 2009 was considered at one point one of the top running backs in the league. Uh, a few years removed, had completely fallen off the earth. Uh, played for the Jets for a little while, only racked up 666, like 663 yards back in 2014, uh, 814 a couple years ago in 2015, and only managed to play in four games last season. Chris Johnson is 31 years old, which in the NFL, at the running back position, that is ancient. You've put your body through so much at that point that your productivity is going to drop off and everybody knows it. So when you hear guys talk about that like cliff at 30 when you're running back, that is a thing, which is why 
when a player, especially a running back, like wants to hold out for more money, it, especially like when he's still young, when he still has legs, when he still has his body, I say you go for it, young man. You go for it because you never know when you hit that physical wall, which is why I supported Le'Veon Bell wholeheartedly when he did. And what did he do to, to repay my support? He caved. He freaking caved. So he ended his holdout by signing the franchise tag that the Steelers were going to give him anyway. And I said I felt so so disappointed. It was like he it was like he when he signed that tender, it sla- it felt like I got slapped in the face because I was pulling for him. I said you you stick you stick it to the man. You let him know, hey, you want me to play? You need to pay. And not only do you need to pay, you need to play. You need to pay big. You need to pay a large sum of money because I know I'm worth it. He even said he even said himself when this whole thing was going on. Uh, quote: The running back market definitely took a hit, and I can't be the guy who con- who continues to let to let it take a hit. We do everything. We block. We run. We catch the ball. Our value isn't where it needs to be. I'm taking it upon myself to open up some eyes and show the position is more valuable. And I go, you go, you go, Le'Veon. That's how you do it. That is how you say, hey, look here. We're tired of being your little doormats, and we want to be make sure we're compensated fairly for everything we do. And then he had to go around and pull this mess on me. And you know what? And you know, after all that, you know what he said was, hey, he said this wasn't really about the money. Or not just about the money, anyway. Uh, he said uh, re- re- to uh, ESPN's uh, Jerry F- uh, Jeremy Fowler, uh, "Quote: I wanted to make sure I was prepared and fresh for the season. I don't want to go out there and jeopardize myself getting hurt in camp. Obviously, I understand that I am w- w- on a one-year deal, so I have to go out there and prepare and play football. My rookie year, I got hurt in camp." So I didn't even want to deal with it. I wanted to get ready for game one, the games that count, and go out there and try to win the Super Bowl. So basically, the only reason he held out was so he could get a short vacay. I mean, what? Oh, it just shot me through the heart. I'm all for player empowerment. I'm all for the players getting theirs. And then, you see, this is what happens. I put myself on a limb out there way too far. And look what happens. I get the knife just dug deep, 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 deep in my back. This, this oh, goodness, it, 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 pain, it pains me. Uh, so he got what he wanted. He got, a, he got a little bit of money, and he got a nice little vacation as well. So now he goes to week one without taking a single hit, and I missed passing, and I passed up on drafting him in my fantasy leagues. So, oh, just, ah. Uh, Oh, one, one, last, one last bit before before we go to break. Uh, Sua Cravens. Most of you probably have no idea who he is. He plays for the uh, the local Washington team here. I refuse to say that like what their mascot name is for multiple reasons. No, it's not for the PC thing. I just hate the team. I'm just letting you know. So he had it is it was real that he had contemplated retirement. Retirement. Sua Cravens retirement. Get this. This guy is 22 years old. He, he was uh, just drafted last year. Like had a, a very tumultuous rookie season uh, trying to convert to linebacker. Uh, and, of course, his coaches and executives were trying to talk him out of the decision. Now, like, a, a lot of people 
kind of or kind of take weird sides because there's a lot of incomplete information that's going out. And one of the huge factors, like when you really dig deep into the situation, and again, the only reason I know it know this is because I'm right here in this area, is that last season, his rookie season, he had a very severe concussion, like a concussion so severe that it damaged his vision. That's how bad his concussion was. And that's one of the reasons why he was contemplating retirement. And so when you throw in that bit of context, and then you also throw in, you have coaches and executives trying to talk about it. It may seem kind of heartless, but because he's looking out for his health and there's there, and there's talk of some other more personal issues going on there as well. Uh, But again, that seems heartless, but understand when you are a team and you invest a second round draft pick in a guy, that is, we talked about a second round draft pick just a minute ago. It's, it's, it's a big investment. So while you want to make sure that the player, at the end of the day, they are a human being, you want to make sure they're okay. At the same token, you do want to protect your investment. You do want to say, Hey, uh, if you're going to do this, we really want to make sure not only for your sake, but for ours, let's be quite honest for our sake as well. We want to make sure that you are doing the absolute right thing for you, your family and us, even though they're not going to say and us, but we all know like, this is a, it's a business. It's a self-serving business. Everyone here is self-served. That's the way it works. So yeah, they're going to do what they can to make sure that their backsides are protected as well. So this concussion thing is real. Okay, it's not a war on football. Like these are real human beings who are going through this, and they're trying to tell you, uh, yeah, there, there's some stuff going on, and we really need to look at it. But the NFL, Roger Goodell, they're going to fight this so hard, and fans who don't know any better are going to fight this hard, uh, hard as well. I am well aware of what's going on, and the, what I'm watching is not going to stop me from doing it. But for the men who are participating. My, my, hey, and who are worried about this? Hey, like you do what you need to do to take care of yourself. That's what a lot of guys are doing. Calvin Johnson walked away from the game at 30. A number of 49ers uh, players, like one who was 23 or 24, he walked away a couple years ago saying, hey, this is a, a thing I'm worried about. I don't want to make sure I, I want to make sure I put myself at the least amount of risk. And as these contracts start like start going up, going up, because that's what they tend to do with these TV deals, especially as especially with the Houston deal, the, 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 what we talked about in the last segment with Houston, if the NFL like really figures out how to monetize on all of the all the uh, streaming uh, um, applications as cable television and satellite as we know it are starting to die out very slowly, we can see these things get huge and these player contracts get huge. We Really, this this idea of a guy coming to the NFL, really playing for three or four years by his by his own choice, just so he can like stack up whatever he needs, so he can help set his fi- up family up financially and really get his life going the way he wants to. I think that's going to be a trend we're going to see coming up, and something we need to watch out for for the next few years. Just let you know. So, like, hopefully, this will not catch any of you by surprise. So, when when you see this happen more often, you say, "Hey, Cyrus told us this is going to happen. Oh, we should have listened to him. He's so smart and devilishly handsome." Coming up next after the break, I talked about me wanting my own shoe. I'll tell you why. Bring the pain, Cyrus Wayne. Back after this. 
Welcome back to Bringing the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. As I close out with you today, it was announced kind of, sort of, but not really. It was revealed that LaMelo Ball, the youngest brother of the Lakers' first-round draft pick Lonzo Ball, the third son of LeVar Ball, a guy that I have a love-hate relationship through the media, has decided to sell a signature shoe. As you can imagine, his signature shoe is being sold on the exclusive website, BigBallerBrand.com. And his shoe is selling in the neighborhood of uh, $3.95. Keep in mind, his brother Lonzo's shoe, who's actually in the NBA, is selling for $4.95. And we, none of us know. And the, little, and the middle brother is in college, so he can't sell any shoes. Which brings me to why I'm bringing this up. Forget the fact that a 16-year-old high school kid who no one really knows is good. Uh, we, we know he makes very bad decisions. He like, His coaching has been very questionable. If you've seen like some of his games, where, yeah, where, yes, he throws up uh, shots to put up 92-some-odd points, but you look at the tape and realize, hey, he does not play one bit of defense. He stops at half court, so he's like you know on the break alone, and he just like, completely shoots up unadvised shots in the middle of the floor in the middle of the floor but who am i to criticize a 60 year old kid I, I feel like a big man doing that so i'm gonna stop the point is a 60 year old kid has a 395 dollars selling shoe and if you've been keeping track of his family at all you know he kind of sort of has a commitment with you with ucla that may be in trouble because you know the ncaa frowns upon anyone other than them making money off of you we, we know they're not, they ain't about that. So, of course, when you talk about a, a young kid and his father trying to try to make a couple of dollars off the kid, you know, just like these schools and the NCAA does, the question is going to come up. So, LeVar Ball says, Psh, whatever. And this is his response. And a, like, and his son's at uh, LaMelo's 16th birthday party in an event space in Chino Airport. He goes, He's going to have a shoe. The NCAA ain't going to tell me bleep because they're not my boss. That's what they do. But that, but they're not going to be like, oh, LeVar, you can't bring that shoe out until we tell you. What? Something that I'm doing for my family? That's mine. I'm under no umbrella. End quote. That's his way of telling the NCAA to absolutely shove it. And I've, like, I've on this show, I have, I have expressed my support of LeVar Ball, and I have also expressed my criticisms of LeVar Ball when necessary. Now, whether you love him or hate him, there is a nugget of truth in, in, what, he, in what exactly he's hinting at. And here is why he's reacting that way, because he realizes what most of us with any daggone bit of sense realizes, that the NCAA is telling not only him, the NCAA is telling everybody the only people who can make a profit off of your child is us. We can sell video until a few years ago. We can sell video games. We can sell T-shirts. We can sell hats. We can sell jerseys with your kids number on it. Of course, we can't sell with the name because like, that would be obvious. But like, like a number 15 uh, Florida Gator jersey like between the years of 2005 and 2009 as if no no one knew exactly who that was that's just oh that's just the random number you're right bro come on 
really, what kind of fool do you take us for? We could do all that. We could put them on national TV for millions to adore while we count the while we count the checks. But the moment you say, "Hey, I'm like my son's out here. I want to get him. I want to. I want him to have a signature shoe. I want to have a shoe. I want to sell the shoe." And you come in and say, "Uh, uh-uh, nope. I'm look here. There is a problem." And anyone who feels like I do, if you listen to the show, you know already how I feel. And if you are a true American capitalist, you will see a huge problem in this situation. So what this means, what this is going to mean for LaMelo's eligibility, it, if when, it's, when it comes to his time in the NCAA, who knows? Only time can really sort that out. But... It's gonna be some. It's gonna be fun to watch. In the meantime, what's wrong with me? I need to hurry up and get my signature shoe. I'm all out of show for the day. But before I let you go, uh, right now uh, the Vegas has the, the New York Jets at a thousand to one odds to win the Super Bowl. Uh, for context, no other team is listed at worse than two hundred and one. That team is the Buffalo Bills. So if you have probably an extra hundred dollars, kind of lying around that you don't really need, I suggest you find the closest bookie and just and just put put, it, put it on the Jets. You'll get yourself a nice little return. You're probably not, you're probably gonna lose it, but a the risk reward right there is clearly in your favor. I'm out. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at cy underscore the great. Yeah, I said C-Y underscore T-H-A great. Like intro and outro beats done by txlbeats.com. That's T Stokes. You you know, he's on the show trying to get him him on once we get uh, some technical difficulties worked out. You'll be here. You should be hearing from him and the other guy uh, very, very shortly. Bring the pain. Cyrus Wayne. See y'all next week after NFL week one.